And now, The Moment with Brian Koppelman. Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. Um, as you know, I usually do the introductions before the guest gets here, but understanding uh, that he is a total professional, Carrie Elwes, who is my guest today, <laughs> arrived uh, as I was walking into the building. Carrie, thanks for being here. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you for having me. Um, you would know, Carrie, from many, many movies, but my, my guess is that uh, you know him best as uh, Wesley mm-hmm. uh, in The Princess Bride. Right. And um, I have to say, Carrie, if, if you weren't here, what, what I would say <laughs> is that uh, and it's something you hear every day. I know <laughs> is that that uh, I, that movie came out in '87, right? And um, as I was starting my senior year mm. of college, okay. And when it came out on video, my friends and I must have watched it. We basically had it going the whole That's end great. of senior year. I wow. know it by heart. That's great. And as you were walking in here. Uh, Ryan Hurley, who's a producer of like uh, many shows on ESPN Radio, right. saw you, and he's yeah. a big guy who doesn't yeah. really. It, I mean, you don't yeah. get the impression that he's a guy who uh, gives into sentiment very easily, no, do you? Not at all. He kind of like choked up when he saw you. Oh, it was beautiful. And then he told me his wife has, as you wish, tattooed on her back. I mean, what are the chances of that? On her back, she has a tattoo from the Princess Bride. Yeah, and you were. You were so gracious, you immediately, what'd you say right away? I said, let's call her. Right. Let's call her. A very Wesley thing to do. Yeah. And, and uh, clearly, I mean, like she me. made the effort to put those words on her back. I mean, I got to thank her. I said, you're a walking billboard for my movie. She said, I am. I said, well, thank you. Well, I hope you sold a book, too, because uh, <laughs> Gary is in New York because he's promoting uh, a book that he's written about his experience making The Princess Bride and about um, his, his thoughts on not only the movie, but on, on the people with whom he made it. Um, and I read the book uh, cover to cover. It's oh, called wow. uh, As You Wish. And um, I can absolutely recommend it if you're a movie fan. If you're a fan of The Princess Bride, it's a no-brainer. If you're a fan of uh, movies in general, though, it's a great insight because every story, um, especially in, into an insular world, needs an, an innocent to help take you into it. And although it wasn't your first film... You do point out in the book over and over again that you were kind of an innocent. I was. I was 23, Brian, when I made the film. Uh, I had made a couple of movies before it, but um, it was certainly the biggest Hollywood movie I'd ever been involved with. And, uh, you know, I'd read the book when I was 13. I was a huge fan of William Goldman, and I understand now you just told me before we started this. Oh, yeah, he's one of the... You guys are old friends, which is wonderful. He's a mentor. I mean, I I don't want to overstate. I have lunch with him a couple times a year. I love him. We We all love him. Our giant Nick fans together. He's a national treasure. Yeah, he's a mentor. He's someone you could ask uh, anything. 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 He's incredible. Um, I read the book when I was 13. I was given it to me by my stepfather. Uh, And my father was a fan of Bill Goldman. My father's favorite movie, which was Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. So this man was living large... Looming in my my my, my and of course William Goldman, who we're, who we're talking about, wrote uh, all the uh, President's Men, Man. all the President's Men, Butch Cassidy. I mean, Magic. I mean, the guy's a genius. Yeah, one of the yeah. one of the greats who ever lived at the Misery uh, writing game. Yeah, Misery wrote the movie Misery, but also wrote these books. You know, Marathon yeah. Man was a book. Yeah, sure. Uh, and then wrote the movie. Yeah. So you had the book. I had the book. Uh, I read it. I loved it. It's hilarious. People think, Brian, that this book is a kid's book when they think, oh, well, I don't read it. It's a fairy tale, whatever. And, you know, the movie's funny, but the book, I'm sure, is just a fairy tale book. But it's not. It's hilarious because 
Bill uh, makes fun of himself in the, in in the novel, and he sort of creates a fictitious life. S. Morgenstern, who, Mor- yeah, uh, and he, all of this stuff that he made up, and he made up a, a fictitious wife in the story and fictitious kids. I mean, hilarious, absolutely hilarious. And I remember thinking, reading it, wow, this guy is a genius. I mean, and I started collecting scripts. Uh, as a kid, and so the first few scripts I collected were were Marathon Man, All the President's Men, and, and Butch Cassidy, so I could study his writing. And so by the time I met him, I was just I was tongue tied. Well, no, I'm sure that you were. <laughs> I was completely tongue tied, you know. Um, and I think I blurted something out like, "I'm such a huge fan," and he's he's heard it a gazillion times. You know uh, I mean? Plus, <laughs> as you know, he he doesn't like actors, right? He's not a he doesn't he's, he said I'm not a huge fan of actors. He said the most of them are phony. Yeah, uh, he says it in the book. I actually got you, him to be a part yeah, of the book. You quoted in the book. Uh, he he writes in that. Yeah, one of the things you got these guys. You got Goldman and Mandy yeah, and Reiner. Yeah. I got everybody a part of it, which is amazing, by the way. I'm incredibly blessed. They all stepped up to the plate and said absolutely. Bill was a little more nerve wracking because, you know, this is one. This is his favorite piece of work, by the way. And you think, given that incredible body of work that he already we just mentioned, that. Uh, that you know, this one would be his. Well, favorite. the story so, of yeah. the Princess Bride. So you know, the 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 premise of this show that that I do is that um, that people who accomplish remarkable things process the big moments in their lives differently. That's what I'm fascinated by. Oh, like, wow. So for, whether yeah, that's the thing that made me want to do it was like, well, having in big success or in big failure, you know, most of us will wilt or will uh, will become too puffed up. But you know, Bill Goldman. Uh, in a very, uh, to me, you know, this movie is so romantic. And in a very romantic gesture, at one point, he bought back the rights right. to the Princess Bride. Now, think of the balls of that. Because he didn't want it made the wrong way by the wrong people. Right? I mean, isn't that a beautiful thing? Well, it's an incredible, I mean, it's an incredible thing to have done. Nobody, it's it's, it's pretty much Unprecedented. Un- unheard of thing yeah. to do. I've never heard, have you? I mean, I've never heard of anyone doing that. No, I mean, that would be like Stephen King going, yeah, I want... Uh, I want Pet Cemetery back. Yeah, you guys no, can't have it. It's, uh, no, no, it's it's unheard of. You know, and and Goldman talks about it in his books, yeah. which, by the way, if you're at all interested in, in movies, you know, Adventures in the Screen Trade is a book that's a, an essential move book right. to read, which is his first sort of book about the, the way that the film business works. But I reread these, by the way, before I wrote this book because I was I read them as a kid, um, and I thought, you know, if I'm going to get Bill on board with this book, I better be you know, proficient and up to date on, on his work. So I reread them and he was, at first he was a little nervous about me writing this book, I'll be honest. And I don't blame him because it is his favorite piece of work. And I had to send him a few chapters to let him read it and see if it was, and get his approval. Yeah. Before he would participate. Yeah. Or, or let me make, write the book. You know, I wanted his blessing. I didn't want to just go ahead and write this thing and go, hey, Bill, here's this book I That's wrote. Awesome. What do you think? No, I, you know, we're friends. I admire the guy, you know. And at first, you know, he was like, I, I don't know, man. You know, I might have, you know, look, I could have soiled the legacy completely, you know. I'm, I'm not a writer. Well, okay. no, the book is really well <laughs> you know, written. And you the know book that. is really clear, though. <laughs> the, the, look, I was, I mean, I'll say when I first got the book, I wondered, you know, um, what your, I, I wondered sort of what vantage point you were going to come from. Right. but. Right when you, from when you start telling the story of the audition process even and how that happened and what Reiner was like and your reverence for this material, I don't know, it brought the whole movie back for me. That was what was oh, so... thank you. That's Brian. why it's a really thank sweet you. thing that you've done, right? Thank because you. as, I mean, Ryan, who told you that his wife has that tattoo, when I was chasing my wife, I mean, I sent her a copy <laughs> of the movie, you know, she was buttercup to That's me. That's great. That's yeah. great. And, and, um... 
And as you know, people quote the movie. Uh, oh, my God. It's one of the most quotable movies of all time. Yeah, yeah. and in the book you say you don't have that many quotable lines, but you have plenty of quotable I got, lines. I got a couple. You have enough of them, yeah. uh, I think. Um, I mean, because you can say, you know, you can say I've spent the past few years building up a tolerance to Iocane powder right. in many situations. Correct. I mean, you could do Correct. three shots of Jack Daniels. Right. There are perfect breasts. In the I world. can't do yeah. it. Um, that's what my right. daughter. Yeah. I just told my daughter I was going to uh, <laughs> come and interview, and she said that line, <laughs> which is great. No, he's he's an extraordinary man, Bill, and I, I can't say enough great things about him. By the way, if you haven't read The Princess Bride and you haven't read any of his other books, go out and get him. This man is a genius. He, he's he, a genius, genius, genius. I, I'll, I'll say it three times. The man's amazing. And uh, you should read no, his no work. question about it. He he is, and um, and like me, a long suffering Knicks fan. So uh, we should all have some sympathy for him. But I, I, I want to go backwards for a second, or I want to I want to ask you a question because one mm. thing that occurred to me as mm. I was looking at this, um, you know, as somebody who's, um, you know, been at this film game a long time, also is um, many people when they've done a work that's that distinctive and that important as a young person. Mm. They kind of run from the legacy of that and want to be looked at for stuff that's happened later. Mm -hmm. You seem to have a, an incredible amount of equanimity about it and calm about, uh, you know, you've had a long career. You've done many things, mm -hmm. but, uh, but it's interesting that, you know, sometimes a band doesn't want to play their hit song. Right, right. Uh, I went to a Prince concert once, right. and that was it. Was uh, in, in Dublin. They were not happy about that. Just, how did it make you feel? Well, I mean, I was, you know, it was interesting. I think he was in he was in a lawsuit with with Sire Warner Brothers, and I think he, you know, he refused to play anything that they claimed they owned, and uh, it was it was unfortunate. No, look, here's how I look at it. I feel unbelievably blessed as an actor. You're lucky that anyone resonates with your work, right? I mean, and I'm lucky to be a part of a film that is so beloved. And so beautiful and so sweet and funny. I mean, I, why wouldn't you embrace that, right? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, people perhaps wouldn't be because, um, because they'd struggle to not be seen as, as Western. Right. No, I know. I or read a story pirate. once. I read a story about uh, <clears throat> uh, David Oselznik after he made Gone with the Wind. And he decided, I do not want on my, on the front page of the variety when I die, you know, producer of Gone, the, Gone with the Wind is dead. And so he, he struggled to try and make all these other movies so that he could rewrite his legacy. But I, I look at it like, come on, man, it's Gone with the Wind, you know? Yeah. And so if, if, if on my uh, obituary it says Wesley's gone, that's great. You know, they'll probably write as you wish on my tombstone. I'm, I'm cool with that. You know, did did you have that? Uh, did you have that sense quickly after the movie? Once you know, when the you know at a certain point, did you did you always kind of have um, a sense of appreciation? Yes, for it, it yes. hasn't annoyed you. No, look, look, I was working with a tsunami of talent. Let's yes. start. We've already discussed Bill Goldman, uh, national treasure. Rob Reiner, fresh off a little movie called This Is Spinal Tap. You remember that? Okay. Uh, uh, Billy Crystal, Chris Guest, Chris Sarandon, Carol Kane, Wallace Shawn, Robin Wright, who was discovered by, by Goldman. Um, I mean, it's... And Andre. And Andre, the giant. I mean, uh, yeah, the, I got to work with a giant. I mean, it's just crazy. Yes. It's crazy. 
So I look at it like a blessing. I call it the, the, the gift that keeps on giving, Brian. It really is. You right. know? You've, you knew right away, okay, there yeah. may never be something this magical. I'll probably never have anything like this again. You know? How do you have such a good attitude, do you think? I'm, you, I'm a blessed man. Did you, were you, are you somebody who, you know, there are a lot of theories about, uh, about happiness uh, and whether we just all return to whatever our sense of stasis is, whether we're a happy person or not. Are you somebody who's always been able to find the kind of joy in life? You know, my theory is this, <clears throat> that people often pray when they need something. Yeah. Right? They go, God, you know, my car's broken down, I need a new car. Or I'm being evicted from my apartment, I need a new place. And I thought to myself early on in life, like, if people just called me up and asked me for stuff all day long, I'd be pretty pissed off. It's like, yeah. I would say, hey, how about you just call to say hi? Uh, or thank you now and again for the stuff I've, I've helped you out with. Yeah. So the way I look at it, I thank him every day for all the little blessings I have, big or small in my life. And that's how I look at it. You know, I'm a blessed guy. And you were, ra now, were you raised that way? I know you were raised in a religious, uh, uh, uh well, a, yeah, I was, I was raised was... Catholic. Uh, but yeah, I just, I just believe that one should count one's blessings instead of trying to look at the stuff that you don't have in life or the things that aren't working for you, just to take stock of, of the things you do have. Well, you know, I'm sure that in, in, in our business, that's helped you it has. a lot to deal with all the crazy. Of, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to, to, yeah, to deal yeah. with the, you know, um, rejection yeah. or misunderstanding yeah. at work or yeah. the hard days. Sure. sure. And you feel like, um, you feel like you've, you've always been able to recognize, um, hey, I'm, I'm really lucky to be doing well, this. Well, let me just say this. This movie, this movie in particular, gave me the career I have today and the wonderful life I lead. And I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be sitting here with you. I wouldn't be having this book out. I wouldn't be having, I, you know, I, I have a lot to be grateful for. Yes, but I gotta say, I have to say, like my my first movie, which it, it doesn't have nearly the impact that Princess Bride did, but it's this movie Rounders. Uh, about, Great movie, thank you. And uh, you had Matt Damon, yeah, Matt and Edward and, Norton, and Ed Norton. I but, mean, that's no, they're no well, schlubs. That, that okay, movie, yes, thank you. But that movie became like uh, a a sort of a cultural phenomenon. Started the poker boom, and and guys from the ages of like fourteen to 40 right feel about that movie the way that sort of everybody does about the princess bride and and we made that movie 18 years ago and sometimes you know when that's the very first thing somebody wants to talk about after right. all this time right i i'm happy to have the conversation <laughs> but occasionally i do want to say you know there have been a bunch of other movies so, that you could check out but yeah. you don't find yourself ever getting into that head i i can't i can't look at it in any, it. any other way other than a blessing brian i can't look at it any other way i really feel like I wouldn't have the work I have today without this film. And so as a kid, when you were reading these, when you were reading Goldman's book mm -hmm. and other books and you started to collect screenplays, screenplays yeah. uh, did you start to have the idea that you wanted to be a part of making movies? Oh, yeah. Oh, How young were you when you realized that? Um, I think I was about five my mom was a single mom raising us uh, at one point when she, my, her, her and my uh, uh, father separated and, and subsequently divorced. So she was a single mom raising three boys in London. And, uh, you know, back then <clears throat> she had to go to work as a secretary and uh, she had to leave us in the apartment. 
the three of us alone. Now you could you no know, social services today would come and get us all. <laughs> sure. You know what I mean? How old are you guys? Well, I'm you know five, six, something like oh, that. Oh, really? Yeah, you know, four or five, something like that. Yeah, and um, and so TV became my friend. You know, and we had two channels. This is dating me now. We had two channels in England at that time. You know, I think it was BBC One and BBC Two. That right. was it. And what was great is the programming, even back then, was kind of cool. And so I got into comedy. That was what turned me on. I was into Peter Sellers. Yeah. I used to watch The Goon Show. I watched an early form of Monty Python called Do Not Adjust Your Set with Michael Palin and Terry Jones. Right. And so I became a huge fan of, of theirs. And uh, Well, you talk about Michael Palin in the Palin. book. Palin. Palin is like, for me, is great. And, ple- and the clergyman isn't Peter... Uh, Peter Cook. Peter Cook. Yeah, yeah. Not, not in Python, but no, another uh, legendary. Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. Right. Another so legendary. I got really into comedy. That was my thing. That was my giddy up and go, as my stepfather used to say. I used to love comedy. And so I saw these people performing, and I looked at this, this magic lantern of a box that was sharing all this fun with me at home alone, and I thought, man, that looks like a lot of fun. I want to be a part of that. And then my stepfather came into my life um, shortly afterwards, and he was a movie producer. So suddenly, my world that I had been dreaming of actually became a practical reality. I was suddenly hanging out on you sets. You were around it. You I was around it. it, and I got bit by the bug, and I was, that was it. I was done, you know? Or, uh, did you start doing plays? And, and no, I, I started, my stepfather was uh, actually pretty straightforward about it. He said, look, <clears throat> to, to me and my brother, he said, look, if you want to get in this business, you guys are all going to start out as PAs. You're all going to be gophers. You're going to learn how to make coffee, you're going to run, be runners, you're going to do all that, right? So we all did, you know, my brother, Cassian, my brother Cassian, who you know. Cassian, who's a, an incredibly successful producer. film producer and yeah. agent and yeah. has done all that stuff. He and I started out as, as PAs. And uh, so we learned from the ground up. And I loved it. I'm so glad I did. It was the greatest introduction to, for me. And at that time, did business. Cassian also want to act or was it clear he was no. going to do business and he you were going to totally be... totally going to do... You could tell he was already into producing. He was going to do that oh, and you were going to be yeah. somebody who was somehow yeah. putting on the makeup yeah, and... Yeah, yeah. Getting in front of the getting camera. Getting in front of the camera. Yeah. And as it... So you were a PA and it, that didn't... It it stoked your desire. It oh, didn't, God, it was great. I worked on Octopussy with, with Roger Moore and uh, back then, by the way, today, that there are very strong union rules about this kind of thing, but... One day, I guess his driver couldn't make it, or a couple of days even. And they said, uh, in the production office, they said, Carrie, go pick up Roger Moore from his hotel in St. James Square. Well, this is James Bond. This is James Bond, right? I'm like, excuse me? (laughs) They said, yeah, we, you know, his driver couldn't make it and somebody needs to pick him up and you you can drive, right? I go, yeah, but not very well. They're like, just go get him now. He's late. We got to go get him. So I get the address, I go down there, I, I, I go to the front desk of the hotel he's staying at, I, I, I call, they call his room and they say, your driver's here, Mr. Moore, and he comes down, he gets in the car, and I'm, I'm sweating bricks. I'm thinking, my God, I'm driving James Bond to work. What if I get in a car oh, accident? How would, that, how would that be? I mean, I could see the headlines, you know, lowly production assistant kills Bond. How old were you? I was... 18, 17, 18. Were you able to talk to him? Did you try to talk well, to he him? Saw, I started driving like five miles an hour because yeah. I thought, oh, that's safe. I'll be safe if I stay in the slow lane at five miles an hour. And he was yeah. reading the, I don't know, he was reading a newspaper in the backseat. And at one point he leant over and he went, you can speed up if you want to, Carrie. 
And I thought, oh, sorry, sir. I, yeah, sure. And I, <laughs> I drove a little faster, but I was absolutely terrified. I, I, I went back to the production office and I said, um, I think you better get someone else to do this. I, I don't think he's fond of my driving and uh, I'm, I'm a little too nervous for that. And uh, so they got somebody else. Oh, they did? Me. So you just drove him one yeah, day? Yeah, just yeah, one, 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 day one time, yeah. Something like yeah, that. That was that, yeah. And then did you, when was the first time you got cast? First time I got cast was in a movie, Brian, called Another Country. And it was a very popular play in the West End uh, written by a guy called Julian Mitchell. Yeah. And it was loosely based on the life of, of these spies, these British spies that had got, all gone to, I think, Cambridge or Oxford, Cambridge together. Um, uh, Burgess, Guy Burgess and McLean and these guys. And it was a very popular play in the West End. And it, uh, uh, Rupert Everett had played the lead and, and, um, and Colin Firth replaced him. And then they hired them both to be in the film to play, right? To, to, for Rupert to pl- reprise his role and Colin to play this character Judd, his best friend. And I was auditioning for the Young Vic Theatre, um, and I remember distinctly a guy called Frank Dunlop. I'll never forget. Thank you, Frank. By the way, he got me and started in the movie business. Frank Dunlop, who was a good friend of the Who, <clears throat> and. Uh, I was auditioning for him, and I was doing some terrible audition. God, it was just dreadful. And uh, I knew it, and he did too. And he stopped me in the middle of it, and he says, okay, that's enough of that. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> put a stop to the misery. And uh, I said, I'm so sorry. Do you want me to do it again? He goes, no, 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 no. He goes, do you want to do movies? I go, yeah, I'd, I'd like to. He goes, well, you know what? Some friends of mine are casting a movie around the corner. Uh, this friend of mine, casting director, Celestia Fox, and... Uh, they're doing a film called Another Country. Here's the address. I'm going to give her a call. Why don't you go over there and right. and give her a call and go and stop by and say hi. And I'll, t- I'll tell him I'm sending you over. And he did. God bless him. He sent me over and that, the rest is history. I, I auditioned for them that afternoon. They gave me a bunch of sides. I learned them. I went back. And that was my first movie audition. I thought, well, this is right, easy. You booked, you booked the job. You know, the second audition I didn't get, I was like, wait a minute, it must be some kind of a mistake. <laughs> uh, but I want to I go back to when you said you were, it was a, a crappy audition and you knew it. Oh, God, it was Wh- awful. Why? How did you, like, what did it? Oh, there were steps on the stage at the Young Vic and I was doing Tamblin the Great, which I had no business doing. I mean, I'm, you know, Tamblin's like a, you know, like a giant guy. Right. And I'm a very small, I have a small frame and everything and that. I remember distinctly being scared of falling down the steps while I was doing my lines. I, I, I must have been like a really bad Miss World contestant. It was dreadful. <laughs> he put me out of my misery. He was like, okay, that's plenty. That's plenty of that. He Thank could you. Tell. You, weren't, you, oh, yeah. just, you weren't able to just use the idea of the fear. The I, was stairs, too, fear. I was pretty green at that point in my career. Today, I would probably find a way to use it. You're right. But the, back then, I was not so, uh, not so professional about it. Yeah, I remember I was once on a, on a, on a movie with, with uh, Dennis Hopper, and it, he was in a scene wow. with a young actor. Well, he was in a scene uh, with a young actor who uh, something happened, and the young actor started kind of laughing and called cut. And Hopper mm. said, no, man. No. Man, never. you got to never. You just yeah. pl- play it to the end. Yeah, you know, and yeah. it was like. Hopper. Well, he was, was great. Uh, he yeah. was amazing. Talk about present. Oh, my God. Just always a lot, you know. I got to work with Coppola on uh, Dracula. Yes. And I, 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 I made a point of spending quality time with him. I thought, this is my only opportunity to spend time with Francis Ford Coppola, my, one of my heroes as a director. I'm going to, whenever he goes to lunch, I'm going to go sit next to him, <laughs> just pick his brain, right? Because nobody, everyone was Brilliant. scared of him. No one wanted to sit with him. I'm like, I want to go sit with him. So at one point, I remember having a conversation about Apocalypse, which was one of my favorite movies. And I said to him, 
tell me truthfully, was there any camera in Dennis Hopper's... Is there any film no. in his camera? <laughs> because I don't think so. Because <laughs> he was a great photographer. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if he'd actually oh, yeah. taken well, some pictures? Well, you, you know, know, he took a lot of... He's published his... I mean... Uh, there's a great book of a bunch of hoppers. Yeah, they're amazing. Photographs. Amazing. I mean, he was, uh, yeah, he was an incredible photographer and um, a very singular life force. Oh, my God. Well, how, how much fun was that for you and being with him? It must have been amazing. The greatest. I mean, I don't yeah. wanna, I'm not going to hijack. This is for you, but I will say one that I've never told this before. I'll just say it really quickly because you, you uh, that era, I know you're fascinated by all this stuff. He was supposed to come to Canada, shoot this movie, and um, we sent the PAs to the airport to pick him up. <laughs> And uh, they came back without Dennis Hopper, I and yeah, um, yeah. we said, uh, what happened? They go, we don't know. You know, it was 99, and the cell phones were okay, but not great. Yeah. And finally, uh, two hours later, we're rehearsing, <laughs> and we had uh, John Malkovich was there, and we were, it was just a rehearsal with Malkovich and, and Hopper and, and uh, one other person. Uh, and finally, Hopper comes rolling in, and yeah. he goes, uh, we go, Dennis, and he goes, the dogs got me, man. They, I had three joints hidden in a film canister. And he said, what do, you, what do you mean you had three joints hidden? I go, I thought you're sober. And he goes, I am sober. Pot doesn't count. And it was the greatest thing ever. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. And hilarious. Yeah. He was the best. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but uh, obviously his uh, um, sort of ability to um, imbibe. Yeah. Must have been. I don't want to skip around, but uh, as, as you mentioned it, uh, the stories you tell about Andre mm -hmm. and the amount that he was able to consume. Yeah. Can you just describe what it was like when you first met him? Okay. So um, I didn't know who he was. I did know a lot about American pop culture thanks to my stepfather, and he brought us out here to the states, and that's how I, I'd seen all in the family. I knew, you know, Rob's work. I knew Norman Lear's work. I'd seen Jeffersons, and and uh, you know. I'd seen soap even with Billy Crystal. And, and Andre plays Fezzik in case <laughs> right? you don't know. And I had no idea who Andre was. And the first day we had our our table read at, at the Dorchester Hotel in London, um, I walked in the door and I saw Rob in, in conversation with Andy Scheinman, our producer, and Bill Goldman. And I made a beeline for them because I wanted to meet Bill. And that was when I met him and, and was tongue-tied and gushing. Um, and... Uh, Andre came up and, and I said, who is this guy? And, and Rob goes, oh, you mean you don't know who he is? And Goldman goes, oh, he's, he's a famous wrestler, you know. I go, well, what's, what's his full name? He goes, and Rob said, is Andre the Giant. You never heard of him? I go, no. His, his last name's Giant? <laughs> <laughs> what, did it, what did it look like to and, you when and, he came and, walking and, over? And Rob goes, oh, yeah, he's a real giant. And you get to wrestle him. How about huh. that? And I'm staying there, scratching my head, going, these guys put me on or what? And literally at that second, the door opened, and in walks this seven-foot-four, 450-pound guy, had bent his head coming through the frame. And I looked at this guy. It was like, it was unbelievable. Bill Goldman describes it brilliant. Bill Goldman said, you know, it's like the Pentagon. People tell you it's huge. But you have to be standing in front of it to really appreciate just how huge it is. <laughs> you know, you have to be blocked by the sunlight or, or put your hand in his, his hand and feel like a five-month-old baby shaking a, a catcher's mitt to really appreciate this eighth well, in, wonder in of the, the book, world. I mean, he's incredible. In the book, you do a great job of getting not only you talking about it, but everybody else. And I, I don't know if it was yeah. you or someone else who mentions that he would drink, uh, he would use a pitcher. That was me. 
He it, took me drink. Well, he would. Here, let me preface this, by the way, Brian, by Please. saying, yeah. <laughs> Uh, he um he, he he wasn't drinking for the sake of drinking. Andre was in a lot of pain and he was supposed to have an operation on his back. He the producers told him to wait until the movie was over to do the operation because they were scared that he might, you know, might not work out and we'd be in worse shape than before, yeah. So he delayed the operation so he went to the doctor. And the, I like that you're trying to explain no, no, I how have. reasonable what you're about to you're no, 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 wait. Paint that the amount of drinking that he did was reasonable because it affected his well, okay, okay. back pain. I mean, that's like if you, yeah, a couple of beers, man. No, wait a second. All right, no, no, it's true. It's true. It's true that his drinking was already legendary. This is true. But, you know, I heard things like 109 beers in one sitting or something like that. Anyway, um... The doctor said to him, we don't know what kind of painkillers to give you. I mean, we've never had a giant, you know. <laughs> and so they said to him, you know, what kind of, what do you normally take for, for pain? And, and Andre goes, well, I drink boss. He called everybody boss, which was so sweet, by the way. And so they said, well, why don't you just do what you've been doing in the past for pain and, and then we'll, we'll cross the bridge of your back and other medication perhaps later. Yeah. So... He would drink this thing called, well, he called it the American. It was like a 40-ounce a beer pitcher, right? And he'd fill it with everything. I watched him. It was unbelievable. I watched his assistant fill it. It had like vodka and gin, brandy, whiskey, wine, vermouth, anise. I mean, you name it. It was in there. And one day, he, he'd drink them like it was water. He'd chug them, like seven, just, just chug them. And one day he goes, you want to try my drink, boss? I go, I, I don't really drink. And by the way, certainly not while I'm working. That's something I never do. And he goes, come on, boss, just try a bit. We'll try it. So he handed me this thing. And I've never tasted airplane <laughs> fuel, but this was about as close as I imagine airplane fuel to being like, I spat it out and coughed like a like a child. And he laughed. He was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, um great. You know, and this this is what he dealt with for his pain. And uh, I'll never forget, I, I did go drinking with him. We didn't drink really much during the shoot. Um, I know Mandy did with him because they were in the same hotel uh, or very close to each other. They had a lot of scenes together, and I think they went out. But Andre and I went drinking at the end of the movie uh, here in New York, actually. And um, he had his famous places that he liked to go. first place he took me was P.J. Clark's. And uh, they knew him, and then they walked in, and they were like, oh, my gosh, Andre, great to see you. And they had a special booth set that was well, his, right? Well, great little cheeseburgers there. I can't imagine how many of those oh cheeseburgers he must no, have No, and they were, it was the size of, like, a biscuit. In his hand. Anyway, so um, we get to PJ's, and uh, he orders his American. The guy's already making it as he's coming in. <laughs> they know? know. I had a beer. He thought that was funny. He thought that was cute. He's like, come on, I want a real drink. Uh, no, 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 I'm good with I knew I was going to pace my, I'm not stupid. I may be an idiot, but I'm not stupid, yeah. right? And um, we start bar hopping. We start going all night long to all his favorite haunts. And it was amazing. Everybody loved it. You know, everybody knew him. Hey, Andre, you know, I mean, literally people would buy him drinks. Had right? the movie uh, come out yet at this no, point? No, but he was Andre, the giant. Yeah, sure. You know, no, 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 is, of this course. This guy who owned Madison Square Garden. You know what I mean? He's, yes. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm a <laughs> you know? big old time wrestling and, fan. Uh, he's it's big, not like he's he could make a place. subtle entrance anywhere anyway. You know what I mean? So the second bar we went to, Brian, I noticed this guy uh, staring at him who I thought I saw from the first bar. Really? And I thought, oh, it's a fan. You know, it makes sense. It's Andre. It's not a hard guy to follow. 
We go to another bar. Same guy. Another bar. Same guy. Fifth bar we're at. I'm still like sipping beer and does carefully. I see the same guy. I lean over and I say, Andre, I think there's someone following you. And Andre turns around. Where, what, where, where, boss, where? I thought to myself, God, I pity this guy if he's a, you know, if he's a stalker or something. And I go right over there, right? Do you see that guy right over there? And this guy quickly looked away, right? He goes, oh, don't worry about him, boss. And I go, Andre, is there a story here? He goes, it's a long story. But I guess it's two in the morning. Yeah. Okay, come on, lay it on me, you know? Yeah. It turns out one time he stumbled out of a bar and slipped on some something on the on the on the sidewalk and fell on a patron. God bless him. The guy must have thought a building was landing on him. And since then, NYPD decided that they would have an undercover cop follow Andre every time he went out drinking. And he told me, he said, "It's my." They told me it was for my own protection, boss. And he laughed at that. He thought that was hilarious. And he would buy the guy drinks. That was the easiest job this guy ever had. I mean, what a great he gig for follow Andre the Giant yeah. from bar to, to bar. bar, drinking to pretend he was a patron. And that's NY's finest, I man. Love I love it. Story. Isn't that a great, isn't that a great that's story? That's not a very widely known story, I no, don't think. No, that was him and me. And did you survive the night? Um, I did, only by carefully pacing myself and moderating my intake. And, and then you, know. you said that Andre... Uh, and never, there was very little evidence of him being drunk. Ever. Whatever. He was never drunk, never slurred, never missed a line, never flubbed a line, he, he nothing. He drank three bottles of wine in dude, front of you. Dude, you know, we're talking a case of wine in some cases. And we'll go back you know. to the beginning, but when you did the fight sequence with him, mm. can you just talk a little bit about, you know, I know that his back was in pain for yeah. a lot of the shoot. Can you just talk about a, a little bit about his attitude during that and how he helped you, you know, what that whole thing was like? Okay. Um... He really was a gentle giant. He really was. He always had a smile on his face. And I adored him. I miss him to this day. He was really a beautiful guy. And he felt comfortable enough with me that at one point he he motioned me over while we were shooting. And he goes, hey, boss, call me a boss. And I went over to sit next to him and I said, what's going on, Andre? And he lifted up his knapsack and he took out his wallet. And he started to take out all these old crumpled photographs of himself and started to tell me his life story. And I look at these pictures, amazing pictures. It's a picture of him in 19 in London, very sharp in a suit with a girl on his shoulder. And then I saw an earlier picture of him in, in, in Cannes on the beach, this time with two girls on his sure. shoulder, right? I, and then there's a picture of him with Muhammad Ali. Muhammad's like pretending to punch. His guy. I think he's holding Andre's hand against his face and, and doing a great Muhammad Ali look. And I said, wow, these are great. And he started to tell me his life story, and it was just a beautiful story. He started to tell me about this thing that apparently not many people knew about, that when he was 13, he was already six foot three or something, and he couldn't fit on the school bus. This is a wonderful story. In in his village in Moliere, right? And so the family was kind of distraught. How do we get Andre to go to school? Because he can't fit on the school bus, so what are we going to do? They didn't have a car, and they didn't have a car suddenly that he could fit in. And the only person whose car Andre could fit in in the little village he grew up in was Samuel Beckett's car, which happened to be a convertible. Who was the, you know, the great existential playwright. Right. Who wrote... Waiting for Godot. Waiting for Godot, right? And I went, you're kidding, Andre. He goes, no, boss. What a life. And I thought, what a life you've led. What did these guys talk about? I said, what do you guys chat about? He goes, mostly cricket. 
I thought, wow. That's awesome. What a story. Yeah, Samuel I Beckett. Mean, he could have written Waiting for Andre, you but, know? But now, so now you have to shoot a fight sequence with him. Mm. And uh, how did you guys choreograph that? Very carefully, um, because they they knew that Andre had a bad back, obviously, the filmmakers. And so they kept the, the um, stunt people carefully rigged a platform for me to stand on. So when I was holding him around his neck, I was actually standing on a wooden platform, like a scaffolding behind him, and we choreographed that. Um, for the wide shots where you don't see his face, that was a stunt right, double yeah, in a sure. suit. And, uh, you know, some of it was him, and he just, he never complained. When that those fists were going by your face, because oh, that's not dude, a stunt double. No. What did that feel like? I rehearsed that with the stunt double carefully. <laughs> you did? Yeah. I mean, dude, you could feel the air go past your face. Exactly. <laughs> I thought if I missed that, if I dodged the wrong way on that, I'm, I'm, I'm probably finished on this movie. I mean, the fact that you were you such know? a huge fan of yeah. the book. Yeah. When you were acting out these things that you'd read, was it totally surreal? Was totally it surreal. just totally mind blowing? Mind blowing. Here I am. Look at me. I'm with the tsunami of talent that I'm working with. You know. And and uh, so let's just go. Let's go back to this this moment because thinking about how how much you loved the book mm. when you had and you you talk about this really well in in the book and I don't want to give up everything. I want people to go out and buy it, but still, um, <laughs> you know, you're here. So uh, we should. Uh, can you just talk about how? How you felt when you got the call that this was a possibility? Yeah. Did you, were you nervous? Oh, Were you God. excited? I was both. I was nervous and excited because, you know, as an actor, oftentimes, <clears throat> you know, a meeting is just that, uh, you know, I get far more work from straight offers than I do from auditioning or anything like that. Um, and my agent called me. I was in Berlin making a movie called Mashenka, which was a little independent movie. Uh, based on, loosely based on the life of Vladimir Nabokov, the, the guy who gave us Lolita. And um, my agent called me from London, Harriet Robinson, and she called me and she goes, uh, Rob Reiner called us and he wants to possibly fly to Berlin to meet with you. He's going to bring his producing partner, Andy Scheinman, uh, to discuss you playing Wesley in The Princess Bride. And I nearly fell out of my chair. You know, I thought, Really? So I don't know how many times I checked myself in the mirror before they showed up. Yeah, how do you keep yourself? How how do you keep yourself reasonably, you know, uh, reasonably calm yeah. in, in that spot? You had to know because Rob had done Spinal Tap and he'd done the sure thing, right? Right, that's right. And so, you know, he and was he was still and, editing uh, 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 Stand By Me. Right. But he had become one of the more important directors in, yeah. in Hollywood. And, um, and he was making this property that mattered so much to you. And to him. And to him, and because he cared a lot about Bill and about, you know, the material. And uh, do you remember how you prepared for that meeting? Um, I think I tried to meditate. I think I tried. I didn't. Do you I, meditate? I do now. What kind of what practice do you do? I just do TM. I just, Me too. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. cool. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, so you do, yeah. you're doing it then? Yeah, no, no, back then TM I was just... Transcendental Meditation, yeah, no. which I do twice a day, every day. No, I don't do yeah. that all. I do it actually. once a day, no matter what, you. but... Good for uh, I, um, I think I lay down on my bed. That was my form of meditation. I laid down back then and just tried to calm my nerves. And, um, and they came and visited me, uh, Rob and Andy, and um, <clears throat> we chatted about American pop culture for a while. 
Um, I told him how much I loved All in the Family and obviously how much I love Spinal Tap. And, uh, All right, but then when the uh, ass-kissing portion of the thing was over. Well, when the ass-kissing was over, he pulls out a script from his, his bag that he yeah. had with him, and he goes, you know, I, I think you might be right for this part, but I really love to hear you <laughs> say a few lines. I just need to hear it. And I thought, that's it. I'll never hear from these guys again. Oh. I mean, it's over. It's right. over. It was going so well. The fact that I you did, now had to read, yeah, and it's a very artificial setting in which uh, to do that. I'd even done an impression of Fat Albert for him. Yeah, yeah, that's what they, they talk about, that you were funny. Yeah, I tried to. I thought, I'll win him over with humor, you know? So I, I did Fat Albert. I don't know why, how. But thank you, Bill Cosby, by the but way. But it came up somehow. It came up, and that made him laugh. I thought, great, I'm in good shape. And then he pulled out the script, and I thought, I'm, that's it. I'm done for. And he had me read the scene where, <laughs> where Wesley explains how he became the Dread Pirate Roberts in the, in the Fire Swamp. And I got about halfway through, and he stopped me, and I thought, well, there you go. That's it. There you go. That was fun while it lasted, you know. Yeah. Good night, Wesley. I must kill you in the morning. morning. Yeah, exactly. And uh, he goes, well, you know, i got to talk to the studio. And I thought it was all just bull****. I thought he was just BSing. You know? He goes, well, so see. So you thought you, you, didn't, nail, you no. thought you didn't nail it? I tried to convince him to stay in Berlin. I was like, I know this great place around the corner. We'll go and have some schnapps. And, you know, I thought I was, I'll sweet talk them in. I, got, I, I knew the reading sucked. I thought I'll go and... I'll go charm him. Well, why did you think the reading? Why did you think the reading sucked? Are you? Do you have a certain kind of? Because you you seem in certain ways very secure. Do you have some sort of insecurity about about that? Like what 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 happened? <laughs> why why did you think it was bad? I don't know. I just I'm not great at at cold readings. I'm just or even even auditions. I'm just I. Do you get nerves? Is it the nerves? You no, think? No, it's just I'm a more of a I. All right, here's where it, where it lies for me. I love being on a set. When I prepare for a character, I really do my homework. I don't mess around. I really get into it. I love it. I love being with other actors. I love being directed. Uh, I love being prepared. And I love being in the moment. I love, I love being in a sense of place uh, and knowing where my character's been, where he's going, uh, what my relationship is to the other characters that I'm working You're with. You're like deep di- doing a I, deep dive I'm into it. I'm right there yeah. in the moment, you yeah. know? And... For me, auditions are just, it's just, I'm not, it's a different kind of skill set. I mean, it really is. Yeah. You know, some people are great at it. Some people aren't. And I'm just, you know, I've gotten far more work from straight offers. Right. Not from having a meeting or talking as opposed to having to actually do the thing. Do the thing. And I'm far more, by the way, when someone says to you, hey, Brian, you know what? I don't need to read your scripts. I want you to write one for me. You're, I know you, I can tell you're a great writer. Sure, Just, you know it's 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 sort oh, yeah. of no, it gives you the to... confidence of like okay, cool. This guy digs me and knows I've got some quality about me that that's right for the part. Well, yeah, and, no, but and some people I guess thrive on being judged in a certain way, and some people don't thrive on being right judged. I guess, but anyway, at any rate, you long story you, short, I felt, thought I sucked. 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 And, do you feel uh, like that um, at the end of days when you shoot when you're shooting? Do you feel that way, or are you able to trust? Because that's what. I, you know, you know, actors have to do this very, it's a very difficult thing to do, to uh, have to open yourself up in that way. So right. I'm saying when you're doing that part. I love it. And, I do love it. And then I you, love, can you feel, oh, I've done well today? Like I've nailed I don't, it? No, I don't necessarily think I've nailed it. I just, I, I can, you can feel when you're in the moment with other actors. You know when you're right there. Ah, so when you can connect with the person with whom yeah. you're playing the scenes. Yes. Yeah. Then you really are. Then you feel it. It's like it's a rhythm. It's it's like playing tennis. It's it's fun. It's yeah. You know, um, if you're if you're disconnected in any way, then that's what's going to show. 
You know, if you're thinking about Marlon Brando, this is a great lesson. Uh, quickly, uh, Marlon Brando gives a lesson about acting in uh, an apocalypse, which I had Francis confirm with me. And he says to Willard, he goes, "Have you ever considered any real freedoms, Willard? Freedoms from the opinions of others, even freedoms from the opinions of yourself." And what he's talking about is literally being free. Yeah, free from. Yeah, so, great Brando, by the way. Yeah, yes, thank free you. from. And your face. You did the whole thing. I wish people had. I wish had a camera because <laughs> you got the eyebrows. You got everything. Thank you. But yeah, of course. Yes, being so present that you're free. You've cast off everything that's weighing you down. Correct. That, that's kind of what I'm asking. Which is, can you get to that? Uh, uh, that's the goal, right? In every art form. Every you art hope form. to hit those moments. You just right? do the heart, all the work yeah. to have those moments where you're flying, catching lightning in a bottle. Yeah, you know, and you find that some people can somehow do it, even in an audition. Some they can. can. Fly. I've met actors who are probably the greatest auditioners ever, and have great careers based on that. And uh, I all hats off to them, man. I'm still, you know, I I, I don't want to go on about it's this, Brian. You're going to really often, help my career. You no, know, <laughs> it does. I think it helps because <laughs> it helps because it'll make people not judge in the audition phase. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, because you wonder sometimes anyway. in my shoes why actors are get because uh, from a from a director standpoint, right? right? You want to get in there with the person mm. so that you can see if this thing you're carrying around in your head matches up with them, or if some uh, other thing, the alchemy creates some third possibility, right? And to 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 me, I want to sit with somebody, and I, gosh, if I can hear them say a couple of the words, it 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 it's inspiring when it works. It lights you up, right. but I, I, if you're I, in a casting room, I'll give an example, and they're yeah. not all like this. Some casting directors are fantastic at giving line readings off camera, but sometimes oh, you're with worst. someone who's going, "I love you. You're the greatest thing that ever happened in my whole life. I wish I could spend the rest of my life with you." <laughs> yeah, or worse, or they give you a scene where they want you to kiss them or something, and it's like you know, it's. It's sometimes it can be hard. This is the thing that most you know people I mean? don't know, and it's totally true. I think even worse than the casting director, who at least you know what to expect, is when they pull in some kid. <laughs> right, who's never read before. Who's trying to right. do. Right, They'll say, oh, you know, uh, Jimmy's going to read with you, yeah. Carrie. Yeah. As, as though they've as done it, you this favor. And he's playing a woman. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, and uh, he's giving it like he's trying everything. He just wants you to be so. Oh, my God. It's genius. Impressed you know? with what he's doing. I mean, you know, it's, it's a hard. skill set. It's, it's a skill set. Anyway. So you do the thing, and Rob and Andy go away, and you feel bad. I'm like, that's it. I'll never hear from these guys. A great meeting. Loved meeting them. And I thought, that's it. Okay, cool. Whatever. I'll just have to f try and get past that. You know? It <laughs> and uh, I guess four or five days later, Harriet called me, and she said, are you sitting down? And I said, no. She said, yeah. I went, no. She said, yep. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I almost started crying. I said, Harriet, I don't care what the deal is. We're going to sign it before they change their mind. You know, uh, I, I, you know, uh, I couldn't believe it. And did you were you able to sleep that night? No, you must have no, been God, out no, of your no, mind. no. I went out and I partied with the cast and the crew. I was just like of the the movie you were working. Oh on. yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. everyone knew this really mattered. Yeah, to you. yeah. I couldn't believe it. It was a life changing and, experience for me. Oh, of course. And were, uh, were there moments leading up to the first day you had to show up? And I know you trained first on the swords and stuff. But were, were there were the fencing? Uh, did you have trepidation at any point before you started that you weren't going to be able to live up to sure. this ideal? Sure. 
Sure. I mean, don't forget I was the novice in the room. You know, even yeah. Andre had more experience than I. This guy had already done, like, he played Bigfoot in The Six Million right. Dollar Man. <laughs> he was in BJ and the yes. Bear, Conan the Destroyer. No, and Mandy, and had, won, every, yeah, Mandy man. had won the Tony. Tony, and, uh, Chris Chris Sarandon got nominated for his very first role as Leon yes, in Dog Day Dog Afternoon, Day. a movie I've seen a gazillion times. I was very nervous to be in a room with this tsunami of talent. I really was. Yeah, um, I mean, that, you talk about the first table read, how you, how you finally, everyone kind of felt like, uh, oh, this works. Yeah. When yeah. you saw people. So yeah. what was it like the first time that you saw Buttercup and met her? Oh, my God. Robin, I'll never forget it. She's amazing. Truly. First of all, she's incredibly funny. A lot of people don't know how funny she is. She's really got an incredible sense of humor. She's got a wicked laugh. And, uh, you can see it in her eyes yeah, in the movie. She's so cool and so funny. And uh, her English accent is brilliant. She has an English stepfather. And uh, she grew up on Monty Python. And then I'm thinking to myself, how lucky am I? I get to act opposite a, a girl who, who is funny and loves Monty Python. I mean... Well, yeah, and you're leaving out the fact that at the time it's she might have been the most beautiful woman in the world. Pretty, pretty good-looking gal. You know <laughs> what I mean? And I'm thinking, we're going to have a blast. We're going to have a blast, which is what we did. And so my goal was to make a laugh every day, which I, I did. I, that was my goal. I can't remember a day without laughter on that movie. And, uh, except perhaps, perhaps the time I broke my teeth. And she admits, <laughs> and uh, I've heard her admit since, that... Uh, she was hoping to that the kissing scenes would go on and on, which must have made you feel uh, pretty good. It was amazing. Honestly, we we bonded like brother and sister on this movie, and, and, and God bless her. I love her to this day. We're still very Are you close. friends? Oh, absolutely. I love her. She's amazing. I mean, this woman is truly a remarkable lady. How often do people come up to you and tell you that, that, that the love that Wesley and Buttercup had um, has somehow made them not settle in life or want more. I mean, do people talk to you about this stuff? Oh, I meet families who've been married and they show me their wedding pictures. They show me their tattoos. They show me they some, I've met a family, get this. I met a family once who named their entire kids after all the characters in the movie. That's um, worrisome. It's, Honestly, that yeah, might be. Yeah. That I might go, be is there one called an albino here? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that might. That might. He, you he know? is so funny. Oh, my God. Mel Smith. Mel is. Mel. I love that you know him. I love that. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, hilarious. Hilarious. Um, it, yeah, the, the uh, well, that sequence when he clears his throat. Isn't it great? Uh, yeah, every moment. Um, but playing that and playing the um, embodiment of perfect true love, and then having, having it be received ultimately in the way that it, it's been received. Yeah. In, in your own life, um, I mean, it's just a movie, of course, but in your own life, uh, did that set any kind of a standard for you in terms of like what you were looking for? <laughs> I hear people say that to me. I mean, I have um, women walk up to me and say, you know, you've made it really hard for me to date people. And my husband, he's still working on it, but I'm getting him there. And now he says, as you wish to me every day, and that's starting to change things. <laughs> I mean, it's awesome. amazing. It's amazing. No, it's, it's like I said, it's, it's the gift that keeps on giving. For me, I, I, um, I, I lucked out. I met my wife uh, 24 plus years ago, and uh, we've been together all this time. We have a beautiful child together, and uh, I'm very blessed. Very blessed. How old's your child? 
Seven. So we haven't watched it yet. I was going to say we're very boy, close. Boy or girl? I want to ask the name. Girl. She's, so, we're very close. So I'm looking forward to does it. Does she know that there's this movie? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and oh, it's yeah. about true love. Yes. Yes. And that's going to be an amazing thing too. Yeah, it's going to be pretty. Awesome. I watched with my son and then with my daughter. Okay. I mean, oh, it's our whole family is. Oh, congratulations! Uh, that's sweet. Well, no, it's fantastic yeah. because I I did marry like my my buttercup. I that's really great. did a long time ago. Um, which is you know for, I was able to find someone that lived up to that ideal. But I think it's a hard thing because those two people um, love each other so much that they're willing to sacrifice yeah. all everything for everything them. that there is. And, yeah. and even though the, they, you know, Buttercup makes some mistakes in that area. Sure. She's certainly well-intentioned. Yeah. No, it's and, Bill Goldman. Like I said, as what, a, a, what a mind. As a professional, just a few more things and I'll, I'll let you no, get no, out of here. No, no, um, please. As no. a, as a, a professional, what did you learn from from the director Rob Reiner? You know, you, you talk about um, a few instances of, of Rob um, managing the state, the sort of uh, mood on the set. Mm. Uh, there's a great story that I won't ruin about uh, Andre and flatulence uh, mm. that's really worth reading the book for. But mm. um, what did Rob's uh, and and Rob and Andy's relationship and and Rob uh, teach you as you went forward and, and experienced all sorts of different movie sets? Okay. That's a good question. I would say the first thing I felt about Rob was that he's an incredibly sweet guy. He's a very generous hearted guy. He wears his heart on his sleeve. He's, um, honest to a fault. He's very nurturing. He loves acting. Obviously it was great having an actor direct. I mean, that's always actors love that, you know, cause they get it. And uh, the first two people he cast were his best friends in the movie, Billy and, yeah, and, sure. and Chris Guest, you know. And he said, no, you know, guys, everyone thinks it's nepotism, but I'm telling you, these guys are right for the role. And he was right. I mean, his casting, if you look at his movies, his casting is impeccable. And uh, so he, he knew he was going on this journey with all of us. And so he even handpicked the crew which I don't know many directors who do that. You mean handpick them Meaning not only for their work, but for... Who they were, the, what they were their like, vibe. Because their he, vibe. Because he knew, um, I need to create a certain atmosphere to tell a fairy... I'm trying to tell a fairy tale, and uh, it needs to feel like we're doing that. And that's what he did, and that's a beautiful thing. And I really... That struck a chord with me. I'm like, wow, this guy, he knows the journey we're all going on. And he's going to make it as fun and as a pleasant, beautiful experience as he can possibly make it. And he did. And that's what I tried. This is why I wrote this love letter of a book to him. And uh, Oh, yeah. Well, the yeah. book, As You Wish, talks. Uh, it, it, it's uh, I think like the thing that's running through it, um, your reverence and love for all this. But, but one specific thing that runs through it. Mm. And I think it's really illustrative for people when they wonder about what actors have to put themselves through mm. is you talk a lot about how the, the sword fight was built and how yeah. it happened and the work that you had to do. Yeah. Um, and in a way, I, I know that Rob didn't, I wonder, I, I mean, I wonder if the, the mere fact that you actually had to become close to expert at that enabled you to feel more like the, the character. Yeah. Well, I think he knew that too. I think that's why he said to Mandy and I at the very beginning, he goes, listen, guys, I don't want stunt doubles for this scene. I want the two of you, okay? So that's why I've hired the two best stunt coordinators, swordsmen, fencers in England that I can find. He found these incredible guys, Bob Anderson, who was an Olympic fencer for Great Britain in the 50s, and Peter Diamond, 
who was a legendary swordmaster. They both choreographed all the lightsaber sequences for Star Wars, yeah? And he said, I'm putting you with the best guys so you guys can learn how to, how to really do this. I don't want to be have any stand-ins or nothing. Um, and so we started, I mean, we hit the ground running. I mean, running. These guys were incredible. They were, they may have been in like the f- late 50s, or early 60s or whatever. They were, I mean, they were hardcore. And they put you through it. Oh my gosh. And did they? We started early in the morning and they let us go at night when we were about ready to pass out. I'm not kidding. And Manny, by the way, had to do more than I did. He had to learn a whole other sequence with Chris Gass. Right. He yeah, fights sure. Ruben, at the end. And know? he said that he, he uh, you said that, that he secretly had started a couple months ahead of you. He did. Because I think he knew. He knew he had a lot more to do than I did. So um, he was, by the time I showed up for my first day of, of training, he was already in the room. And I, I write in the book, I'm like, damn you, Indigo. What a, what a gift. <laughs> he, already, he was already there and already sweating and I was already left-handed. I'm like, what? <laughs> what, a, what, a, what an amazing uh, gift, though, that yeah. the, you and Mandy gave one another, right? Yeah. Which is that, that commitment that you each showed. Yeah. Because obviously he ends every concert he's ever given with by... Yeah. saying the line yeah. from the movie. Sure. And he's, uh, I think he said, that, and you you give him the space to say in the book that this allowed him to connect with his father who died yeah. young and suddenly. Yeah. Um, but it's incredible that, that the, the movie doesn't, you know, often you'll hear people worked on a movie, they didn't know they were making something special, mm. right? Even though we receive it that way, right. they didn't know. Right. But it feels like you guys knew it. Well, you never want to be arrogant, and go, hey, look at us. We're, we're so great. Aren't we geniuses? Yeah, but that's you know? not what I'm I mean, saying. I'm saying that you guys seem to know you were about you together were doing something <clears throat> that had magic to it. There was definitely a magic. You're right. There was definitely a magic to it. And like I said, I think the director always sets the tone on a set. You know, if, you, if you're lucky and you get a great guy who's fun but intelligent, knows, has a clear vision, loves to work with actors, gets it, is prepared. Yeah. Okay. And is cool, then you've lucked out. In the actor's world, you've lucked out because half the work is done for you. Sure. You've got a guy who knows what they want. And and by the way, Rob is very specific about what he wants. There's no kind of like, hmm, let me think about that. He totally knows what he wants. Now he's open. That's not to say he's not open to suggestion and, and likes to hear input from people. Um, and the good ones usually do. And uh, so he just made this convivial atmosphere of, of just it's an atmosphere of creativity i guess that's what i'm trying to get at well you know yeah no you when can... you create the right atmosphere that that your actors and your crew can feel creative in then you're in you're you're off the good start yeah when you can take a risk when you can go as far as you want right and you can like let your imagination fuel it yeah totally then you're you're able to connect yeah and lock into this thing that you're doing and maybe fly right maybe that, yeah and that's how we felt and yeah. you guys did fly i mean you know and, and, and as a last thing i mean when the movie first came out um and it uh, i mean cr- critics liked it but when it first came out and it was commercially unsuccessful mm-hmm. how did you process that oh it was hard it was hard for all of us i mean rob was heartbroken god bless him you know um we all were. You know, we'd put a lot of hard work into this thing. You know, it was a um, Norman Lear, you know, financed the movie yeah. himself, you know. I mean, I imagine how nervous this poor guy was, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, we were, we were sad. You know, but look, don't forget, Goldman had warned us 
from day one. He goes, listen, guys, this is an oddball story, all right? Yeah. It's, 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 it's a comedy. It's a fairy tale. It's a, it's a kid's movie. It's an adult movie. It's, it's an adventure film. It's everything. And that's what the, the, the marketing department was stumped with. You know, they had no idea how to sell this. We didn't even have a, a TV spot when we came out, if you can believe that. We had one, and they pulled it within the first week because yeah. they didn't like it. Well, it was very hard to figure out what the movie was if you yeah. were a moviegoer. Right. I mean, first of all, the title right there. Boys thought it was a girly movie. Adults thought it was a kid's movie. Well, yeah, everything Fred Savage's character says right. is probably what people thought. Right. You know, is there going to be kissing? Kiss I don't want, right. all, that. I don't want yeah. all that, right? And it was actually college students. I mean, Andy Scheinman talks about this in the book. He said, you know, we started, we were so desperate. We started screening it at universities around the country. And it was college students who started to pick up on it and got it. Because they were initially put off by it. But that's what started, happened to me. For that's sure. what happened to you, right? 100%. Which is great. But it wasn't, a, by then it was too late. Yeah, I remember I time. actually saw it in a movie theater next to PJ Clark's that's not there no anymore. Way. Yeah, no I, I did. Um, uh, and on the east side. And, um... Saw it with three buddies from college. We walked out of there on fire, told everybody that we knew, and right. then watched it over and over and over again. That's great. And as that started to happen, a year later, two years later, is that when you realized yeah. it had become, you know, about, Rob talks about that at a certain point he realized there was a chance this could, could become like The Wizard of Oz. And at first, he viewed that in a negative way, that, right. that The Wizard of Oz was a movie that was a failure um, and only became um, uh, lauded later. And then he, he was set straight by a friend of his, and he realized, yeah. wait a second. If I could be part of the Wizard of Oz, oh, that's a great thing. That's uh, yeah. an incredible rare thing. Yeah. When did you have that realization? Like, it, okay, this. It was about ten years later. Ten Fine. years. It yeah, took. it was almost ten years. I guess. I get, It was. I, I. I can't place the exact time, but it was about when the video, the VHS market was taken off and cable was taken off. Excuse me, and people were renting the movie on VHS and then buying it and giving it to their friends and family, and that's when people started to watch it at home. As a family unit, you know, everyone would watch it together and, and everyone could enjoy it for the for different reasons, you know. And uh, I remember distinctly I was in a restaurant here in Manhattan and I guess I was ordering a hamburger or something and the waitress said, how do you want that cooked? And I said, medium rare, please. And she goes, as you wish. And she winked. And I went, what did you say? And she goes, you know. And then I went, Wow. I, it, it kind of dawned on me that this film that had been mostly dead for almost a decade, mostly dead, you know, suddenly was coming back to life. It was a beautiful thing, a beautiful thing. Well, it is a beautiful thing. Um, and your book, As You Wish, captures it um, magically and wonderfully. And uh, if, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen The Princess Bride, see the movie right away. Get Carrie's book. It's it's. Um, you know, it's terrific. You've been listening to this. You know that I don't uh, I don't really pimp out people's books, um, but I <laughs> wanted to talk to him because I read it and uh, I thought he really captured something. He really captured not only what it was like to make that movie, but you really captured what it's like to set off on this crazy journey that uh, is going to last a certain number of days with a certain number of people. And you're going to connect with them and you're going to throw everything you have into it. And you're going to hope that at the end, the magic that you, you're, you're wishing for is really there. And yeah. in that case, it is. And you Capture it beautifully in, in your book. You. Um, if you want to find me, I'm Brian Koppelman at Twitter. Uh, are, are you on social media at all? Are you I on am. Twitter? I'm at Twitter at Carrie, L, uh, Carrie underscore Elwes. Carrie underscore Elwes. Thank you for being here. Thank you. And uh, thanks for listening. Uh, go get Carrie's book. Bye. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or... Go to grantland.com and click 
on podcast.